All right. Well, thank you for your graciousness this morning and flexibility. We're glad you're here at the Mill Church. If you're visiting today and have never filled out a welcome card, we would love to have a record of your attendance. Love to have you in our database so we can reach out to you and contact you if need be. Um, I'd also like to make you aware, if anybody isn't, of our children's programming in our lower level. That is my euphemism for basement. It is a very char charming basement, nonetheless. It's got carpet and fresh air and, and bright colors. And so uh, we hope you uh, will consider sending your kids down to let them hear about Jesus at an, at an age-appropriate level. Um, might I just uh, give you a little thought to get us started this morning and begin with the gospel? Can we just do that? Can we just talk about the simplicity of what Christ has done for us out of the gate? Um, do you know that in eternity past, God knew that we would sin? Did you know that in eternity past, God and Jesus came up with a plan for that? Together? As, as gifted architects, they, they lined up a remedy. Uh, the, the Spirit was, was with them. They pursued mankind the, the plan was that God the Son be sent down to earth as the last the final sacrifice people in the Old Testament they made sacrifices for their sins Jesus came to be the last the final sacrifice um, and a sacrifice of course was his own life that we might be saved um, so in the fullness of time as the scriptures uh, those are words that the Bible uses um, Jesus came he left his throne as he and the spirit and the father planned he descended to earth he dwelled with human beings he uh, entered humbly um, into poverty into a manger uh, into a stable uh, for animals he uh, didn't have a place to lay his head at times and and yet um, he knew exactly what he'd come to do because he and the father had planned it and he was about the execution process, the execution of, of the plan. And so um, Jesus knew exact, exactly what he was destined to accomplish. Um, this man, Jesus, um, being human, grew. The Bible says he grew in wisdom. The Bible says he grew in stature. Um, I'm watching two little boys grow in stature over the course of months and years. Uh, the Bible says Jesus grew in favor um, of God and even of men. And um, he preached. He helped people. He healed people. But ultimately, ultimately, the plan was to save mankind to come and die. And John 17, 4 records for us the longest prayer in the Bible. And it's a prayer from Jesus to his Father. It takes up the entire chapter of John 17, much, much longer than the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's, a, it's a thrilling, engaging read. And um, if you look it up, you'll see that Jesus says this sentence, Father, while on earth, while on earth, I have completed the work that you sent me to do. While on earth, I've completed the work that you sent me to do. So Jesus knew exactly what he was about to do. He knew it. How do you know? Because he and the Father had already agreed on it. Okay? They'd planned it. So then Jesus proceeded boldly. He went to the cross to be substituted. The God-man put himself 
where we ought to be, to belong. He took the punishment. He secured, in turn, our salvation. Okay? So Jesus, getting into what we're going to talk about today, did absolutely everything that needed to be done. He took care of it. It was all the work of Christ. Um, He cried out as much, even from the cross, when he said three words, it is what? Meaning it's done, meaning it's taken care of, meaning there's nothing you can add to this. Um, I uh, value this uh, formula. Um, Salvation, or I should say Jesus, let's just keep it simple, plus anything ruins everything. Jesus plus anything that humans could do to try to earn salvation ruins everything, okay? All we need to do is trust in what Jesus did. This means we don't add to it. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus tithing. It's not Jesus plus speaking in tongues. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's simply Jesus. He's enough for us. And the Bible calls trusting in what he's done faith. That's what the Bible calls it. Um, While we trust, we lean into heaven, that reality. We look forward to the day that he's going to come back and pick us up and take us up there with him. And while here, while we wait, we plug into Jesus' life. While we wait, we commune with God. We enjoy his presence. We are compelled, while we wait, to do things for him. In other words, Jesus works for, rather his work for us, begins a work in us and results in work through us. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. Jesus' work for us on the cross, okay, begins a work inside of us, and then he works through us, meaning our appetites change. He puts something inside of us. He works inside of us. We no longer do what we used to love. We no longer do what we used to do because why? We're not who we once were. Nobody who meets Jesus is left unchanged. It just doesn't happen. So as your pastor, I, I want to um, move in, into the message in, in, in just a moment, but I'll say, I'll say this first. James' main, main point is that Jesus' work for us and what it begins in us culminates in what he does through us. That's what it says. That's James' main point. That's what we've been talking about over and over and over and over again, and we'll continue to talk about over and over and over and over again is that it results in what Jesus has done in our heart. It, it wasn't begun by, we can do nothing to earn Christ's love, but because of Christ's love, we are compelled to do things. That's James' main thrust. So we become a people that loves. We become a people that serves. We become a people that gives. Again, not so that God might love us, but in response to what he's already done. And one of these people that God loved is a man named James who happens to be Jesus' younger brother, who happens to have authored the book that we're studying. He's by now a pastor. He's at a church in Jerusalem, and he's teaching the stuff to religious types of people. 
okay? They've been attending meetings a long time. They're there every Sunday. They dress for success. They've been hearing sermons for years. And this is who he's making the target of what he has to say. James will speak of faith in three major categories we'll see in today's text. The first one, well, why don't I just say this? Um, we'll just go right into it. The first one is a dead faith. First two are counterfeit faiths. The third one is authentic. He talks about a, a dead faith first. James two fourteen through 17. What good is it? Then, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, what good is it? Can that faith save him? And I would submit to you that it's a very important question. Significant. And, and, I, and I don't, again, I don't want you to see that question. Can that faith, can that habitual um, goodwill doing save him? That's not what James is asking. What he's asking is, is it a sincere faith if it's not evidenced by works? That's what he means by the question. And then he gives us an example. If a brother or sister, a fellow Christian, is poorly clothed, um, now, let's pause up just to think about that for a minute in our context. If there's somebody in your life group, if there's somebody in your neighborhood, if there's somebody um, in our church service, um, if there's a kid walking to the bus stop with your kid who does not have a coat, okay, and it's cold and it's raining and that kid begins to shiver, um, or you see one, uh, as he says, lacking in daily food. Let's say it's a single mom. Uh, let's say she's in your life group. Let's say she's in our worship service. She's trying to make ends meet, but falling short once again. She can't buy groceries for herself or her family. James says next, and you say, and you say, he's talking to religious people, and if in that example he's giving these religious people, and if you say, now notice, in James' example, that the person he's talking to doesn't do anything. He's saying, if you say. So obviously the person is saying something to the tragedy that he or she is observing before him or her. The poor kid or the single mom without groceries. The person doesn't do anything. The religious person, the person just says something. Know that about religious people. They're chatter only. They don't do anything. They just say nice things. And they'll cloak it with all kinds of Christianese. Go in peace. What is, what is that? What is go in peace? You know what James says it is? It's what he's getting at. It's Christian hyperbole. It's mumbo jumbo. It's bull crap. It's what he's saying it is. If you say go in peace, don't, don't worry, single mom. Don't worry. Hey, you know what I've heard? When God closes a door, he opens a window. I'll be praying. Just trust the Lord. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is saying to the religious person who chooses to reject it, you know the coat that individual needs? It's hanging in your house. It's in, it's in your closet. 
you know the groceries that single mom needs? You have more than enough. You have extra. See, the, the sandwich they need, it's in, it's in your fridge, okay? Um, what's your point, Pastor? My point is that God often uses people, and James is saying we ought to be used by God in addition to praying for answers to be the answer to prayer. We can answer our own prayers. Do you know how often we pray for things that we can answer? It's true. If we're just sensitive and do what God's asking us to do and not just say what God's asking us to say. Again, religious people, those with dead faith, they do nothing. It is all lip service. There is no lifestyle. Dead faith is a profession from the mouth that is not practiced with the legs, with the arms. As your pastor, I'm concerned, not specifically, but generally speaking, that we may have some with dead faith. You don't serve, you don't care, you don't give, but you believe. This is classic, lazy, lukewarm, lifeless faith that James is confronting in his church. I don't care about your religious heritage, he says. You can be baptized in the church. You can grow up in the church. You can marry in the church. You can have your funeral in the church. You can close your eyes and still wake up to hell. How is that even possible? It's possible because church has never saved anybody. It's possible because tradition has liturgy. Uh, saying the benediction every Sunday after church has never saved anyone. Catechism does not save. Adult baptism at the Burris home does not save. Child dedications do not save. It is only Jesus Christ that saves. If you'll remember Jesus saying this, a good tree bears what kind of fruit? What kind of fruit? From a good tree. Good fruit. Anybody ever have a couple fruit trees in your yard? One produced good fruit and the other was shriveled up and, and dead or dying? Okay, we've got an apple tree right now in our backyard. One of them's beautiful. The other one looks like it needs a little help. It's kind of leaning to one side. It's kind of growing more this way than it is this way. A good tree will produce good fruit. Uh, both of the trees are standing there. You might call one rooted and fruitful. You might call the other stagnant and dying. It's only a matter of time, Jesus said, that he's going to come by and chop off the one that's dead. He's going he's to fall the bad one. Why? Because it's not fruitful. It's not rooted. It's dead. How many of you are discouraged already in today's sermon? gets worse before it gets better. The next kind of faith James mentions is a demonic faith. And it's not what you might think. A demonic faith. Verses 18 and 19. But, but someone will say, he continues along the lines of these hypothetical examples. Someone will say, he introduces us to another religious person. 
Okay? Someone will say, who's going to now hypothetically interject in the conversation, in his example. Someone will say, and you know why someone will interject here? Because theologians and nerds who are religious, um, they always like to argue about why they're not doing things for Jesus. They always love to tell you everything they're learning. I'm not doing anything because I read my Bible every day. I've just been drawn near to God. That's why I'm not doing anything. Might I remind you that using the Bible as an excuse to not obey the Bible is not using the Bible correctly? Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. In other words, James says people say things like, you have your path, I have my path, you like to do things for Jesus, I simply like to put trust in Jesus and not do things. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Man, this is powerful. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe what you believe, he says, and they shudder. James is giving a hypothetical argument based on what's not what he just said about demons. That was reality, and that's scriptural, but a hypothetical argument on what's happening in his church. Let's just say in 2,000 years later, these two groups that he's referring to still argue. They still argue. We have the faith people. We have the works people. Today. And the faith people are always faith minus works. And the works people are always works minus faith. And the works minus faith people say you can earn your salvation by doing great things. And you can be a good person. And you can try harder. And and you can speak in tongues. And you can get baptized. And you can tithe your 10% and inherit heaven. And the faith minus works people are over here saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. Um, They're content preaching to the masses without responding to natural disasters, without ever trying to build a hospital or clinic, without ever drilling a freshwater well. They're happy just being studious, just sitting at the feet of Jesus, always, perpetually, forever, doing nothing. They say, you know what, you just need to calm down. You just need to calm down, pastor. God is sovereign. Don't you know that? He's going to provide for people's needs. We just need to trust in the Lord. We just need to publish more books of theology. We just need to wait for Jesus to come back. And James says, both groups are wrong. Both groups are wrong. It's an and not an or. We're saved by none other than Jesus Christ, and it's out of a grateful heart for what he's done for us that we do. It's both faith and works. Make no mistake about it, though, there are whole churches, there are whole denominations that heavily lean one way versus the other. And James, this bold little brother of Jesus, says, You're like a demon. <laughs> You're like a demon. It's not an encouraging book at the moment, is it? If you were to see this in a book title, which one would you pull off the shelf? Seven Steps to a Whole New You or You Are Like a Demon? Which one would you take home and read from the self-help section? That's what James compares religious Christians to. 
He says, oh, you believe in one God? Congratulations. I love his personality, by the way. Congratulations with a capital C. You believe in God. Great. Even the demons believe in God. It's what they do. They have an understanding of Jesus, too, but without an affection for Jesus that leads to actions. Congratulations! And it's really an interesting comparison, to be honest, because when you read the Gospels, some of Jesus' own family, including James, pre-resurrection, did not believe who Jesus was. They did not believe he was the Son of God. And the Sadducees didn't, and the Pharisees didn't, the religious people did not accept him. But do you know who did while he was living on the earth? Do you know who knew he was God? The demons. Mark 1.34, he, Jesus, would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Luke 4.33 and 34, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Luke 4.41, demons also came out of many saying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Church, even demons know Jesus. There is no, there is such thing, I should say, as a dead and demonic faith. There, there is um, uh, this attitude, oh, I was baptized as a baby. Demonic faith. I believe in God. I'm a better person than most. I'm, I'm sure I'm fine. Demonic faith. What do you mean demonic? I mean, it's precisely the kind of faith that demons have. They're acquainted with Jesus, but they don't love him. They don't love him. They don't respond to him. He hasn't taken over their lives. There's information, not transformation, not heart change. Demons can pass the test. Demons are great, I'm sure, at Bible trivia. I'm sure they're awesome. What they don't know and what religious people don't know is that it ultimately isn't a fill-in-the-blank test. It's a fill-in-the-life with works for Jesus out of a grateful heart toward what Jesus has already done. It's that kind of test. Is Jesus changing you from the inside? And then there's a third kind of faith, and this is where we turn positive. It's a dynamic faith. It's a dynamic faith. Chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Do you know that in a world where we're told um, and, and believe how smart we are, how bright we are, we, 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 we're really on that trip right now, it seems, as a society, where there's all kinds of stuff new under the sun, It's well and good for us to be reminded that we're foolish. I'm just going to pause at that. I need a good old-fashioned rebuke from time to time. And my wife readily provides those, okay? But I need them. We need to be called fools or some other word to tell us how we're acting. 
And so James says, you foolish person, faith apart from works is, is useless. And he gives two case studies, and we'll conclude with these. Abraham and Rahab, a man, a woman. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he, was offered, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed. Faith was completed, okay? Um, and then he goes back and quotes Genesis, this massive verse of the Bible echoes the whole Bible. Um, there's this big theme and concept, and Abraham uh, becomes for us this towering figure of faith. We looked at this in November of 17 when we studied um, uh, Abraham's story for the Bold Initiative, and we read this. This is the massive statement. Abraham believed God, there's faith, and it counted to him as what? As righteousness, okay? He was called a friend of God. You see, that person is justified James says, by works and not by faith alone. And he says, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute? And allow me just a moment here to say, uh, remind you that God welcomes who society might call the worst of sinners or who Christians, sadly, might call the worst of sinners. Jesus welcomes them all. Does it matter what kind of junk you've got in your past? Does not matter. Jesus loves you. He cares for you deeply. He adores you. And here's a story. Rahab the prostitute. Um, Was not also Rahab justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is, is dead. Here's what James is saying. You know Rahab? She was a sinner. Everybody knew she was a sinner. She was not one of God's people. And then God's people came knocking at her door. God's people were in danger. They were going to lose their life. So she did something unexpected. She welcomed them in. She identified with God's people. She converted to the faith. She realized that her life was wrong. And she started making changes that reflected her knowledge of who God was. James was saying, Rahab, a prostitute, experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ. That's Rahab. What about Abraham? What was his point? Well, again, we looked at him in depth a couple years ago. Towering figure, if you'll recall, he didn't have a son. He didn't have a son. And God had promised that he provide not only a beloved son, but a firstborn son to he and his wife, who he loved, Sarah. She was elderly, okay? Um, and a son through whom uh, would come eventually Jesus Christ. And the promise happened. The promise happened, and all was going well until what? Until God asked Abraham to do something very odd, very strange. What did he ask? For him to kill his son. To kill his son. And, and how fitting a dilemma to consider the great love of a father on Father's Day. But just think of this. All of it foreshadowed who? God the Father sacrificing his own son who would one day lay down the knife on his own son, Jesus Christ. But for Isaac, Abraham's son, the knife remained suspended in the air. God spoke up and said, don't kill the boy. Don't do it. And it was only a test and he provided a way out, an animal for the sacrifice. What Pastor James is saying to his church and telling the story of Abraham is this. What if Abraham would have said, God, I have faith, but I'm not going to do anything. I trust in you, Lord. I'm not going to put wood on the boy's back. I'm not going to ascend the hill. 
James is saying faith is not just about what we believe internally. It's about what we do externally. And if we're not doing, we ought to question what's happening internally. Let me say that again. Faith moves us to action. And if there's no action, we ought to question the transformation that purportedly has happened in our heart. Give you one more analogy to close. This one's not James, this is my own. Levi was little, I've done this um, since with other kids. I, I teach him to jump into the pool in the summertime and I breathe in their face and, and dunk them and get them used to going underwater and all, and all this. And um, I'd say something uh, like this, Levi, do you trust me? Standing on the pool's edge. Scared out of his mind. Levi, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Jump to me, buddy. Oh, I don't know, Dad. I, I don't know if I can do it. Levi, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Yes, he would say. I trust you, Dad. I trust you. Well, then jump. No, he'd say. And then we have to coach through it again. Do you, do you trust me, son? Then 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 jump. And, and I don't know about you, uh, Levi is a great little tiny attorney. He just argues his way out of anything and everything. He has a defense at the ready for everything, okay? And so he, he, he's good at that. His excuses are so well thought out. They're so reasonable and logical, his excuses. But he talks his way out of it. James is saying, you're not trusting the Father until you jump. It's not real trust until you jump. Somebody needs to hear that today. You're not really trusting God until you jump. Until you do what it is that he's asked you to do. And, and that's a faith that is not dead, as a faith that is not demonic, when that happens, it's a faith that's dynamic. It's in motion. So what is the jump for you this morning? Personally, you, each of you, personally, what has God been asking you to do? What are you afraid of? What are you lacking courage in? What is the pool's edge for you? What is the deep water for you? Where is the risk for you? Maybe it's missions. We just heard from two missionaries. I used to think missionaries were estranged people. Who on earth would do that? <laughs> In a beautiful, glorious way they are. But they are so normal. These are people who decide to jump. That's the only thing that makes me different from a lot of other people. They have the courage to jump. Maybe it's witnessing to a friend. Maybe it's giving a tithe. What is the water that you're afraid to jump into? The difference in trust and lack thereof is the ability to jump. Jesus will catch you. The Father will catch you. His promises are yea and amen. He knows what's best for you.
And there's even joy. There's joy in the catch for the father. There's joy in the catch for the son. Amen? Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would nudge, convict, challenge, transform somebody this morning. Somebody here who has lived a sidelined faith, who has watched for years. Lord, I just pray that the words of your little brother James echo in his or her heart today in a way that leads to robust, permanent, persistent action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you give.